Blog Talk Radio. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. You can check the show out on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. I hope you guys have enjoyed the shows and shared them with friends and family. I appreciate your support. People have donated. Thank you so much. Um, This morning we're going to be talking about a very, very important issue that affects a lot of African-American men uh, more than other men. So that's why I think it's important to have this show. I try to have it every year. Uh, This is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, and I have two specialists with me. Um, One is Dr. Ingrid Hall. She's an epidemiologist. Um, She works for the CDC. Good morning, Dr. Hall. Morning, Joy. Glad to have you be here today. Thank you again for calling in this morning. Dr. Hall has a long history of published work in the area of prostate cancer decision-making and spearheaded the organization and coordination of the State of the Science Conference on After Surveillance and the Management of Localized Prostate Cancer, which convened in 2010. She currently oversees studies developing an interactive online educational tool for prostate cancer treatment choices as well as support materials for newly diagnosed men who choose active surveillance. My other specialist, Dr. Otis Brawley, he's a professor of oncology at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and 39th Bloomberg Distinguished Professor at Johns Hopkins. Good morning, Dr. Brawley. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you again for calling in. Dr. Brawley leads a broad interdisciplinary research effort of cancer health disparities at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and the Johns Hopkins Kimmel Cancer Center, working to close racial, economic, and social disparities in the prevention, detection, and treatment of cancer in the United States and worldwide. So these are the big guns here. They know what they're talking about. I'm just on the sidelines asking questions and trying to help myself and everyone get informed about prostate cancer. I'm going to start off with uh, something I saw really interesting in researching the topic. And, And, Dr. Hall, this might be in your wheelbarrow. Why was a lot of the cancers were happening uh, mostly on the East Coast in the map, like on the CDC's map, and less on the lower southwest of the United States? Has have they come up with why that is? Do you know about that? So you're saying most 
most prostate cancers are geographically distributed? Yes, Was that the Ge- geographically, um, except for they had um, Montana and North Dakota was, was also, but a lot more dark blue on the East Coast side of the United States as opposed to the West Coast. And I didn't know they had found some reason for that. Um, I'm not aware of the specifics that you're talking about, but I'll hazard, mm-hmm. hazard a guess that a lot of times the distribution of disease is based on the populations where you see that in. So mm-hmm. if there are certain groups of folks that have a higher burden of disease and that they are populated on the East Coast or in the Southeast, then you'll see your map look like that versus um, maybe people who don't have as much prostate cancer, um, Asian Americans, for example, on the West Coast, then you won't see mm-hmm. as much blue on the map on that side. Yeah, that that makes sense. I, I because, agree um, wholeheartedly. Mhm. Yeah. And what is your experience? No, I agree wholeheartedly. If you look at uh, if you look at a map of population density, you're going to see a lot more people living closer together in the northeastern United States especially than in the southwestern United States, and that's the reason why you've got more prostate cancer uh, in the east versus the west. It's, 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 mm. It follows population density. It's not that people from California are less likely to get prostate cancer versus people from, say, New York or New Jersey. Yeah, and they had the like Alabama, uh, Georgia, and, and places where there are large populations of African Americans. So the the, the, the map was for African American um, men uh, and prostate cancer. So mm-hmm. that definitely makes sense. Let's let's go back. I just thought that was really interesting. But go back to the beginning, Doctor uh, Brawley. What is prostate cancer? Where is the prostate? You know, people don't know okay. basic, you know, uh, mm-hmm. physical like where everything is in our body. Where is the prostate, and, yeah. and, and what does that mean when somebody has prostate cancer? The, the prostate is about the size of a plum, and it's under the male bladder and just before uh, the male penis. And uh, when men urinate, the uh, urine travels through the urethra, which is a tube that goes from the bladder through the prostate all the way through the penis. And how we can feel the prostate is by sticking a finger up the rectum and feeling forward. We can feel part of the prostate there. How we take the prostate out surgically is through an incision that's typically made in the area of the pubic hair. The purpose of the prostate, it makes the ejaculate that semen uh, is in when, uh, when a man ejaculates. Um, and it's, a, it's an organ that... Uh, Grow, as men grow older, unfortunately, uh, it grows in size. And when, as it grows in size, the hole in the middle that we urinate through can get smaller, just like, say, a bagel. As it, as it grows in an oven, the hole gets smaller in the center, and we can have difficulty urinating through it. And that's a prostate condition called benign prostatic hyperplasia. And also, unfortunately, as we get older, it's, it's a gland where we tend to have cancers come up. And uh, that's what we're here to talk about today is prostate cancer. Dr. Hall, this early detection tool, can you tell us about this tool and how it will help men? Right. So the norm, usual way of identifying prostate cancer early is to participate in screening with a test 
That's called the prostate-specific antigen test, or PSA for short. So as Dr. Brawley said, the prostate, um, as it grows and gets older, will put off a protein called PSA that you can measure in the blood. And the higher that that level gets, the more it indicates that that man should be followed up to see if he has prostate cancer or not. There are other conditions that cause an increase in in PSA, so that's why it's important that a man go to his doctor and find out the reason, the underlying reason for that elevation. Um, But that's the main way that it's it's diagnosed. um, Also, the PSA is done in conjunction with the digital rectal exam that Dr. Brawley um, just described. So those two things are the major way uh, that men get screened to figure out if they have an elevated PSA or not. If it's elevated, then you follow that up, usually with a biopsy, biopsy to confirm whether it's cancer or not. Now, Dr. Um, Brawley, you know, pain in urination could mean some other thing that could be go- happening. It may not mean prostate cancer. How do you, um, how should the person know, like, what, when should I go to the doctor? Like, is this well, prostate cancer or mm-hmm. is this something else? Is this diabetes? Yeah. You know, is, is this a, a STD? Uh, well, first I would recommend to anyone who is concerned about a health problem, go discuss it with a health professional, no matter what the health problem is. Uh, men who have prostate symptoms, uh, very frequently it's prostatitis or an inflammation of the prostate, which can be a sexually transmitted disease. It can also be, and it most commonly, most commonly, is other types of infectious diseases like E. coli. Uh, if men have blood in their urine or blood in their ejaculate, they certainly ought to go talk to a doctor about it and have it tested. These are very common problems that people have, and they most commonly are not due to cancer, but can be due to cancer, and they need to be assessed in any event and oftentimes need to be treated. We shouldn't just wait for them to go away, which is the common male thing to do. (laughs) Yes, very common male thing to do. Dr. Hall, um, is this environmental? Is this genetic? Uh, if my father had it, will I have it? If nobody in my family has it, why do I have it? Yeah, so most cancers, and that includes prostate cancer, have a genetic and environmental component, and we generally don't know how much of which goes into uh, the cancer that anybody might have. I also wanted to note that there are some conditions that run in families that are not hereditary. So people have common environments, common diets, common lifestyles, so that a condition can show up in the family, but it's not hereditary at all. So it's thought that 5 to 10% of prostate cancers are hereditary, and usually um, men that have a family history, um, men that have cases in their family that occurred when that person was younger than 55 years old, or men who have a family history of a constellation of cancer types, um, breast, ovarian, or pancreatic, those are all signs that there could be 
a genetic component. Um, but that said, approximately 90% of cancers arise sporadically and have no hereditary component that, you know, anybody can identify. So most likely it's not going to be genetic for most people. Not genetic, hereditary now, is what I meant to say. Dr. Brawley, is there certain things I should eat or drink, not do, exercise, not exercise, that will help my chances of not getting prostate cancer? Well, you know, it's interesting. The answer to that question is there are things that we should do to prevent uh, all the chronic diseases, be it diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and cancer to include prostate cancer. And those things are we should have a diet high in fruits and vegetables, and the CDC and the NIH have had campaigns trying to get people to eat five to nine servings of fruits and vegetables per day. Uh, we should exercise on a regular basis, and there are CDC uh, recommendations for how much exercise every adult should get per week and every child should get per week, and it amounts to about four hours of moderate exercise. And then uh, we all need to try to maintain an ideal body weight. Uh, if we can do all of those things, we lower our risk of getting uh, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and all the cancers, uh, probably prostate cancer as well. But I can promote those things because it definitely makes an individual healthier. Dr. I wanted to add to, well, can I add to that just a minute? I wanted to add to the list to avoid smoking and to limit alcohol intake if possible. Mm-hmm. Here, mm-hmm. here. Now, can I have a glass of wine every night? Or you're just saying, like, don't overdo, <laughs> don't overdo it, like, you know, partying every, every other Wednesday and things of that nature. <laughs> well, I think that? it's unrealistic you know, that people are Go ahead. I was going to say, I no, think no, it's I unrealistic just, yeah. that people are not going to drink at all. But, yeah, just don't be excessive. And I think all of these healthy behaviors are things that people just try to do in moderation. You can always do a little bit better than what you're currently doing right now. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of the goal, just to have people live in a way um, that's going to lead to better health. Now, Dr. Um, Brawley, I was, uh, and Dr. Hall, you could both ask, the biopsy, is that going to hurt? Do I have to get knocked out for that? Um, you know, yeah. how long is the recovery from that? These are very sensitive yeah. issues for men, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should back up and uh, point out that if a man uh, has a screening PSA and the screening test shows that the PSA is elevated, uh, we do want to do a biopsy, and that's going to involve uh, placing a transrectal ultrasound device up the rectum. It's a small probe that goes up the rectum, uh, and uh, we do a biopsy, which is that when we say a biopsy, it's actually 12 needle sticks placed into the uh, into the prostate. Uh, it is done with local anesthesia, um, meaning uh, it's it's far worse to have certain dental procedures than to have this prostate biopsy. It is uncomfortable, I will not lie, but it does not require general anesthesia. Uh, and, uh, you know, it requires some 
lidocaine foam up the rectum usually, uh, and that's how we do most of our biopsies. There are other ways of doing biopsies, but the most common involves just having the man bend over and put this uh, thing up the rectum and do these 12 biopsies. It takes, even though it's 12 biopsies, it can take 40, 45 seconds to do the whole thing. It gives us a lot of good information. Um, now, Dr. Um, Hall, what are the side effects of getting this biopsy? Um, that's something, you know, people want to know. And, and, and should I not get it and just wait based on some physical exam, um, Dr. Hall? Well, to, to positively confirm whether you have a cancer or not, you definitely have to have a biopsy. There's really no other way to do that. So a man definitely should not wait um, for the biopsy if his PSA is elevated because you want to know for sure, you know, what your future course of action is going to be. Um, in terms of, you know, uh, side effects of the biopsy, I'm going to throw that back to Dr. Brawley because he's the clinician on this call. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people, people who have uh, – People who have the biopsy have a little bit of pain uh, during the biopsy. It's a little, pain is too strong a word. It's more like a pinching feeling. Uh, most men who have a biopsy have no side effects after, uh, after that. A few men will note that they have some blood in the urine for a day or two. Uh, but, uh, uh, and a very few men, probably one out of every 200 or so, might actually end up with a little bit of uh, a fever because they had a little uh, uh, bacteria enter into their blood. Most men, by the way, who get the biopsy are given some antibiotics afterwards. Very similar to people who have many uh, dental procedures are given by, uh, antibiotics before and after the biopsy or before and after the dental procedure, I should say. Now, um, Dr. Hall, you talked earlier before we came on air about a personal connection you had with prostate cancer. Are you comfortable sharing that now? Sure, I can. Um, our conversation was related to kind of the anxiety that men might go through while waiting to find out if they have a cancer or once they're diagnosed with the cancer, waiting to figure out what their treatment course is going to be, if anything. And so I wanted to give an example. You know, my dad was diagnosed several years ago when he was 70, and he was determined that he was going on vacation in six months, and he did not have time for treatment right then, you know. And so the doctors were like, well, you don't have to make this decision right away that you have time, we can wait until you're back from vacation. And I just stressed and stressed and stressed about that thing. It was just kind of like, how do I know that this cancer's not growing out of control while we're waiting these six months to go on vacation? You know, mm -hmm, the doctors mm -hmm. say that they, um, they gave him hormones to keep this cancer in check until he makes a decision about what kind of treatment he wants to have. How do I know it's working? And I'm like, I work in this field every day, and I know how we recommend to people to take your time to make your decision about what you want to do and make the decision that's best for you. But it was awfully, awfully stressful for me 
in that situation and trying to um, be be the support for him and to assure yes. him that he was actually getting good advice. So, yeah, I can um, relate to most of the audience. When you hear a diagnosis of cancer, you think i got to do something about it right away. But the truth is prostate cancer, for the most part, is fairly slow-growing. So there is no big rush to run and do anything right away. And, in fact, almost half of people diagnosed get put on a protocol called active surveillance where you just watch the tumor, you go in maybe every six months to get a repeat PSA test, and you just watch it and make sure that that tumor is not growing. Once you get an indication that it might be growing, either your PSA is rising or you've done another biopsy a year out, 18 months out, and you see some changes from the first time, that's the point when you can decide to opt for it for active treatment, but there's really not much rush for the majority of people to have to run out and do something right away, but it can be kind of anxiety-provoking to think that you're waiting yeah. and not knowing how that tumor is growing. Yeah, I yeah, agree, and we, yeah, we really should uh, know that almost, not almost, every professional medical organization that I know of, it's at least 12, uh, that made a statement about prostate cancer screening. Note first that men age 50 and above, uh, men who have a family history age 40 and above, need to understand the pros and cons of screening and make, first make a decision if they want to be screened uh, because of some of what I'm about to say. Uh, if a man is diagnosed with prostate cancer, there is in the United States now, even for black men, a greater than 50% chance that that man's prostate cancer is never going to grow, spread, kill, and never going to bother that man if it is left alone. And what we're working very hard now in the laboratory and clinically is to identify the men who need to be treated versus the men who don't need to be treated but need to be watched. And so... A man, before he gets screened, really needs to understand, and Ingrid just put it, Dr. Hall just put it very well, needs to understand there is a chance that we're going to say, you have cancer, it's one of the good kind, we need to watch it and make sure it's one <laughs> Wait, of the good Dr. kind. Dr. Brawley, Dr. Brawley, that just seems like, what, the cancer, good kind? I, I don't feel that way. If you told me yeah. that I had cancer... And you said it's mm -hmm. one of the good kind. I'm going to look at you strange. And one of the things we talked about before we got on the air was this issue of race and practitioners of African-American men not being African-American. Many are, are Caucasian or, or, like I said, non-African-American. And the history that black people have mm -hmm. with medical community, very cautious, very, un, you know, not fair, mm -hmm. people not believing their pain. So if a, a practitioner who's non-African-American tells me, oh, you have cancer, one of the good kind, you know, we can wait, mm -hmm. I'm going to be mm -hmm. like, what? I need to get a second opinion. So this is oh, something I, well, new. Everybody should get a second opinion first off. Everybody okay. should get everybody a second should opinion. Get a second okay. opinion. Mm -hmm. but, but it is a fact. Unfortunately, we have to deal with the truth here. The majority of men who have localized screen-detected prostate cancers 
all treatment will do is give them side effects that they did not need. Now, on the other hand, there are some men who have prostate cancer, and treatment will save their lives. And we need to work on figuring out the men whose lives need to be saved and the men who need to be watched just to make sure that we were correct in the first place, that they had the kind of cancer that does not need to be treated. Now, when we make that mistake and the man's cancer starts growing, we almost always catch it in time such that we can treat Mm -hmm. the man and still save his life. That's what but Dr. Hall was saying. We save a lot of men the problems of treatment. Hmm? She was talking about going back every six months to check on it. Uh, Dr. Hall, I yes. wanted to ask you about the, the different treatments. Um, that Are there any new groundbreaking treatments out there that have been very successful, maybe in clinical trials for prostate cancer? Do you know of? I think the treatments are fairly standard. Either they're going to fall into the category of surgery and their kind of improvements and variation on that theme, or they're going to fall into radiation and there's tweaks that they do on that theme, either external or internal radiation. But those are kind of the basic basic ones that most people get. I kind of wanted to back up, if I can, though, Joy. We were talking about... you know, just trying to figure out whether there's a bad cancer, whether there's a good cancer, you know, where does that leave men? And so I wanted to make a plug for CDC's latest educational tool. We released earlier this year a virtual simulation avatar tool called Talk to Nathan. And so Nathan is a simulated African-American who goes to talk to his doctor about prostate cancer screening in one module, or treatment selection. So people can find the link to this tool on cdc.gov backslash cancer. And by watching Nathan, it's interactive, so they can have Nathan ask different questions of the doctor. But by kind of playing with Mm -hmm. that tool, they can figure out the kinds of stuff that they need to be asking what the responses could be from their doctor, and what kind of follow-up questions they need to ask. So we're really proud of this. It just uh, was released um, in July, early August. And so I hope that some of the audience will use it to get some of their questions answered. That sounds like a really really great plan because people, it will make them more comfortable before they have to go to the doctor if they can kind of, pre-plan their questions and see reactions, I think that's a really good idea. And so that's that's the whole point. We're trying to make it easier to have conversations with your doctor. Um, Thank you so much, both of you, for coming on this morning. We have run out of time. But, again, if people miss the beginning of this conversation, it will be archived. Dr. Brawley, Dr. Hall, thank you so much. And um, I hope you guys have a great weekend and uh, enjoy the sun. Thank you you so much much, for having us. Thank you very much. You guys, thank you for listening and tuning in. If you missed the beginning of the show, you can check out the archive on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. Um, I also want to let you know I'm on Twitter at Joy Keys, also on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. 
I'm going to be talking with some black surfers coming up next. Yes, I said it, black surfers, right? Uh, two words together. Hmm. But I uh, hope you guys can stay tuned, and you guys have a great weekend. Thank you again. Nearly one-third of all American adults have high blood pressure, and more than half of them don't have it under control. Simply seeing a doctor and taking medications isn't enough for many people who have high blood pressure. A team-based approach by patients, healthcare systems, and healthcare providers is one of the best ways to treat uncontrolled high blood pressure. Patients can improve control by measuring and recording their own blood pressure between office visits and by taking medications as prescribed. Healthcare systems can use electronic health records and patient registries to find and follow up with patients and automatically notify doctors about patients who have high blood pressure readings. Healthcare providers can see patients with high blood pressure more often until control is achieved. To learn more about the ways we can all work together to achieve blood pressure control, visit www.cdc.gov/vitalsigns.